0: products uh, still talk to the same audience and are still used by the same user base, it has made sense to change a lot of our marketing tactics and our user acquisition tactics, as well as the business model.
1: Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. today we have Sophia Apolikov, who is the co-founder and CEO of The Noun Project, which is an online platform that simplifies communication by allowing anything to be communicated visually through symbols. And they have over 2 million icons on their platform and a bunch of other stuff going on, which I'm excited to kind of go through uh, with her. But first and foremost, Sophia, how's it going?
0: Great, thank you for having me on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining. So why don't you give us a little background on kind of uh, you know who you are and what your story is?
0: Sure, so I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company called Noun Project, also the co-founder and COO of Lingo, which is a different company that we have started through Noun Project and are investing in. My background is not in tech. Uh, I was in nonprofits and fundraising before this. I uh, went into business and then followed the, uh, the way into tech kind of by falling into it um, through launching the company. I'm an immigrant. I was born in St. Petersburg, Russia, and immigrated to Des Moines, Iowa when I was 11. that was kind of a a big culture shock for me. Moved to New York along the way and from New York moved to Los Angeles probably over 10 years ago.
1: Wow. Okay. Um, So tell us about, I mean, I'm kind of curious about the the journey from (laughs) Russia to Iowa. What what were like the big differences that you saw?
0: Oh gosh, just about everything. (laughs) I grew up in Russia during some of the harder times. So you know, the economy collapsed and uh, all of that. So we we uh, immigrated to the States when I was younger with my entire family as refugees and, and were sp- sponsored by the Jewish Federation and ended up in Des Moines uh, through family connections. We already had family there. But, yeah, it was a huge culture shock. Um, one of the things that I remember was that everybody was a lot bigger than me, which is like physically just bigger kids than me, which is very, it it was just very intimidating when I started school at 11. I didn't speak any English, so I kind of had to learn as I went, uh, which was difficult when you're a teenager. But yeah, it it, it was a pretty big culture shock.
1: Wow. Okay, two completely different worlds. Uh, I'm just trying to, you know, put my mind mindset in that. So, uh, okay, well, that's cool. That kind of made you into who you are today, right? So, I, I want to learn a little more about the company. I mean, how do you guys, uh, you know, how does the noun project work, and how do you guys make money?
0: Oh, sure. That's, that's a very good question. So, we started in 2011 uh, to build the world's visual language. Our mission is creating, sharing, and celebrating the world's visual language. And to date, we've done it by building a collection of over 2 million icons that are created by designers from around the world. And the way that it works is that anybody can come to a platform and they can search and download any icon that they wish for free, or uh, they can pay a fee to license the icon and to do things like edit color and edit the size and, and make different changes to it. Because we are a community built platform, uh, we do share royalties back with the designers. So anytime that somebody pays for for an icon that they license, whether it's by making a one time purchase or through a subscription, we always share those those uh, payments with our design community through royalty payments.
1: Got it. That's awesome. And so what kind of numbers can you share around the the business today?
0: Uh, we have over. So as I mentioned, we have over 2 million icons on the platform right now. We have over 5 million users. We have millions of people coming uh, on a monthly basis to view the platform. And we're building two products simultaneously with a team of 20. So we run extremely lean. And we have been for years.
1: Okay. And when you say, um, so when people land on the nounproject.com, are they, how does it work? Do they buy like credits or do they buy like paper icon? How does that part work?
0: Actually, you can do both. You can either pay for icons. So like if you just need one or two, you can always do that. Uh, If you want to, if you're working for a company, for example, and you don't want to bother your boss for his credit card every time, uh, you can always buy in bulk. So buy in advance and then spend it as you wish. Or you can have an ongoing subscription, which is $39 for the entire year. So that's actually the the best deal if you're going to be coming back.
1: Wow. Okay. And, and so for you, I'm backtracking a little bit. How did you decide to go into a business for icons? Like, why did you decide to start this company?
0: So it's a bit of a long story, but... I've always wanted to own my own company. It was just something that I knew I wanted to do. I never particularly wanted to work for a big company that was not my own. And I met my now husband in college. We dated very briefly. And at one point I told him, you know, one day we're going to run a company together and you're going to be on the creative side and I'm going to be on the business side. And that was that. And Fast forward like 10, 15 years later, we're married, we're living together in Los Angeles. Uh, This is during the Great Recession. He was working as an architect. He got laid off from his company and he's always had this idea of building a visual dictionary and it was one of those things of we're living in a time of uh, thankfully the Obama administration um, had some great support in place for people who were getting laid off during that time. So there was a bit of a safety net that uh, was luckily in place and it gave us the ability to say it's now or never. Let's just put something together, put it online, see if it sticks and give it a go. Um, And we, we ended up launching on Kickstarter and just, something clicked and our messaging stuck and it made sense to people. And we initially had a huge following within the design community. And we're very lucky enough to just kind of have this get picked up and have a life of its own that we then had to keep up with and grow with.
1: That's great. And for for Kickstarter, I mean, this was in the early days of Kickstarter, right? So I guess how much did you Definitely. raise and how did you how did you promote it? <laughs> oh my
0: gosh, I think we raised something like $15,000, which sounded like so much money at the time, but is nothing compared to the millions being raised today on Kickstarter. And we promoted it, gosh, it, it, it's been so long, I can't even remember. Um, you know, honestly, we probably did not do such a good job of promoting it because we were so new to this and just didn't have much experience. We did have a third co-founder at the time who who started the company with us Scott Thomas and he was the design director of the 2008 Obama campaign i believe and so i think that that definitely added some credibility from the design community standpoint but i think it was really just the messaging that we had of of, of wanting to build something that didn't exist that really stuck with a lot of the designers at that time
1: right And for you, when you, okay, I mean, you're built, you're basically, you've built, you've built a marketplace, right? And those things are not easy to build, especially if you're building Mm -hmm. it from scratch. So can you tell us about maybe, you know, how you went about acquiring maybe the first, uh, let's say thousand customers or so, because um, yeah, I mean, that, that should be enough. So tell us about that story. How'd you get the first thousand customers?
0: Well, I think the difficult, the, the benefit and the difficult part for us was, We were building a marketplace on top of a freemium model, a freemium business model. So when we first launched a platform, we really didn't know how to monetize it. We didn't have any good ideas outside of, hey, let's sell t-shirts with icons on them, um, which obviously did not work out. But what it did is it enabled us to build a very large user base uh, that were just downloading the content for free. Using the Creative Commons attribution to provide credit to the designers who are uploading the content, and then what, how we arrived at the current business model was we kept uh, getting emails and inquiries from customers who could not follow the Creative Commons attribution requirement. So, an example is uh, we got we received an email from MTA, and they wanted to put some icons on the sides of their buses, and Obviously, it could not attribute them. And so we received these emails saying, hey, can I just give you money instead of having to include this attribution? And so fairly early on, well, we ended up emailing our design community and saying, hey, here's the opportunity that we see. We will pro- we'll continue to provide your work as is under the Creative Commons license. But we also want to integrate this other thing where a customer can pay to use and license your work royalty-free, and we will share the, the, the royalties with you. Um, and it was an opt-in, opt-out type situation. I don't even remember anybody really opting out, but that's how we got started and essentially just introduced the, the UI to be able to purchase instead of just attributing something.
1: Nice. So that was almost by kind of by accident, like people saying, Hey, can we just pay for the creative commons thing? And then uh, you guys just started to, that was the the impetus for starting to collect payments.
0: Yeah. So I actually handled customer service for our platform for first, I want to say at least two years, maybe even three years, um, which is not typical for a CEO to do because, you know, you're inundated with a bunch of other work, but What it really did is it allowed me to understand what our users were wanting and to be able to put together trends that I was seeing from all the emails that we were receiving. And it kind of puts, it it gives you so much information, but it also puts you in a challenging position because you can't always just go with the flow and listen to everything every user will tell you because sometimes the ones that are Really talking to you and reaching out to you are kind of the loudest voices in the room and don't necessarily represent the rest of your user base. Um, but you do have to kind of keep your ear open and and try and watch out for those trends where the community is trying to guide the product and they a lot of times they have better just better um, ideas than your team will. Or that you will. So I think it's really important for anyone starting a company to really pay attention to the feedback that they're getting from their users, and and to actually interact with those users themselves, rather than, you know, immediately hiring somebody else to handle customer service.
1: Yeah, I love that. And so, do you still, you know, occasionally check in on the customer service emails even today?
0: So we have an amazing director of customer service. And he puts together these very helpful reports uh, that we receive every month. Um, and we can go over them. We can, so he's kind of like my trusted ear to the ground. Um, and he will tell us the trends that are happening. And he'll also include examples of the emails that he has received about those trends. So there's that. And then he'll also, if anything comes up kind of on a more immediate basis, so if there are, for example, any bugs in the system or anything's not working, obviously he'll bring it to our attention much faster. But I feel like I get a good sense of what our customers are talking about by having him communicate that and, and provide examples for that.
1: Great. I love that. And is there, a, is there any specific uh, customer service tool that you guys are using right now?
0: We use Zendesk. Got it. Okay. So we use, well, I should clarify, we use Zendesk for Noun Project. And then, as I mentioned, we have another product that we are building called Lingo, which is a visual asset manager um, for brands and products. And because that's a SaaS business model, we actually use Intercom for that, which has been incredibly helpful. So if we see somebody come in that... That has the certain qualifiers that we're looking for. That makes them a potential, a good potential customer. We will actually use Intercom to reach out to them and see if they have any questions.
1: Yeah, we uh, we love Intercom for that too. It's yeah. been uh, it's been a godsend for sure. Mm-hmm. What do you think is working really well for you guys in terms of customer acquisition today?
0: Uh, well, that also depends. So for Noun Project, we have been incredibly lucky to have really good branding and a very strong brand voice from the very beginning. And so I think that by building out a community around that uh, for the past, you know, eight, nine years, uh, we all all of our marketing is essentially done by word of mouth. To complement that, we like to host kind of more on the ground community events. So something that we've done for many years is called iconathons, which are basically like hackathons for design, where we bring the community together to build, uh, to create icons for for civic-minded concepts that are not represented in the world today. So an example is we just did a three-city series iconathon called Redefining Women. And we did that because we noticed such a lack of visual representation and iconography for the women of today. So for example, if you search for CEO, most of the results that will come back will be of men. If you search for a creative director, if you search for artist, uh, musician, chef, most of the results uh, are very heavily dominated towards the, the male icon representation. And so what we did was host iconathons in three different cities, where we brought together both designers as well as non-designer participants to create new representations for women in in these different settings, as well as men. So if you search for an icon of a nurse today, most of those representations will be of women. If you search for a caregiver, most of those will be of icons of women. So there's also that misrepresentation of men as well. Uh, So that's the icon set that's being developed right now and and being vectorized, and we hope to release it very shortly. So I feel like for us, for Noun Projects, it's really been a combination of getting the word out by having a very strong brand and a strong brand voice and a company that I think is really uh, leading towards making sure that we're doing the most good that we can for the world as well as so word of mouth marketing through that as well as having these more on the ground within the community events
1: love it yeah and i think especially um like around this time right now um the the project that you're working on with the kind of um you know let's call them i don't know what you're calling the project but to me it seems like you know diversity right um and really um Mm -hmm. you know clamping down on that um as, as as it should be that allows you to ride the wave from like a pr perspective but also at the same time people are searching for this stuff. And then when I think about things from like an SEO perspective, a lot of people are, are linking to these icons too. And then, you know, that's how come you guys have so much traffic going to your website right now. So yeah, I, I think, especially the design community, I remember um, when I used to work at a, at a company that, you know, was design and dev related, like they would just really just jump in and support and blow things up um, all at once. So um, I think that's the other benefit. So one thing I wanted to talk about too was um, you, you know, taking the profits from the Noun project and investing into your new company, Lingo. So can you talk about that a little bit and what your philosophy is uh, when it comes to, you know, reinvesting?
0: (laughs) Sure. So Lingo is actually a company that we accidentally launched. Um, We, a few years ago, we were trying to find a way to add to what we were offering through the Noun Project. Um, And we did a bunch of uh, internal hackathons that that incorporate a lot of interviews with potential users and trying to figure out what problems they were encountering. And what we found was that most people actually had a very hard time organizing the files for visuals that they have right now. So a lot of like brand related files, anything from. Photos to, hey, what font do we use? So what are our brand colors? Where can I, where can marketing find this picture of, I don't know, a BMW that we can use in our promotions? And so through various iterations, we actually ended up with a product that was quite different than the one that we envisioned building at, at the get go. And Hence, we turned it into more of a visual asset manager versus uh, an extension of the Noun project. So while those two products uh, still talk to the same audience and are still used by the same user user base, it has made sense to change a lot of our marketing tactics and our user acquisition tactics, as well as the business model to be very separate between noun project and lingo lingo is a SaaS product whereas noun project is a marketplace so while we're able to use noun project as a lead gen for lingo and to kind of make sure that we're building off of uh the brand that the noun project has already built and and the community that we have uh lingo is a very separate product just it, it it doesn't make sense to kind of try and squeeze them into one brand and one company. And so, so we've been kind of incubating lingo within Noun Project. So we share the office, we share resources. Um, I'm the CEO between both of uh, the companies and Noun Project is basic, Noun Project is a profitable company. And so we've decided that it would make sense to take those profits and invest them Invest a part of those into Lingo and into making that the best platform that it can be.
1: Great, I love it. Uh, so, Lingo is lingoapp.com, correct? Yes. And roughly, I mean, how many paying users do you have right now?
0: Uh, we have close to a thousand right now. But the great thing about what we've built is not even necessarily how many users, but it's used by companies like Teams from Apple, LinkedIn, Salesforce, Shopify. Target, so it's it has some heavy hitters that are that we are lucky to consider customers.
1: That's awesome, great. And so, okay, so, wow, and you have uh, looks like Headspace is using it as well. Mm-hmm. Cool, great. Um, And so what is your philosophy around kind of taking the profits? Because a lot of people, you know, they would want to take the let's say they're starting a business. They would want to take the profits and just feel like, oh, you know, I'm making, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred grand a year, maybe a couple million dollars a year. Just take it home. Right. So for you, you're reinvesting the profits, which I which I love. What are your thoughts around like people are like, oh, you shouldn't you know, risk everything on putting it into another business. You should take some off the table.
0: Well, first of all, we're a venture backed company. So taking it off the table, I don't think my investors would Take two so keenly.
1: So Lingo is, oh, I didn't know Lingo is also falls within, um, I guess, because you're funding it from the Noun Project. It's part of the, exactly. the package. Okay.
0: Yep. So we raised uh, for Noun Project a few years ago, got the company to profitability uh, a couple of years later, and then started Lingo. So really, I think our investors are going to be getting quite a good deal of uh, investing in one company yeah, and then getting two for in one. return. Yeah,
1: Okay, that makes complete sense then. Never mind.
0: Yeah, take, so yeah, taking money off the table is is not exactly an option. Nor I mean, nor should it be. I mean, if if you're investing your your profits wisely, then hopefully in in, in the long term everybody wins.
1: Yeah, that was what I was getting at. So maybe I should rephrase the question. You know, if it were your own money, because I didn't know that they were packaged together. But if it were your own money, would you put everything back in like how you were now?
0: Well. I don't really see it that way because I do see it as a lot of my own money. Uh, we bootstrapped the company for Noun project for first 4 years before raising. So, you know, so so there goes all of my savings and any kind of revenue right, that we right. would have brought so, in. So you over are every doing years.
1: you are doing what you you, basically you are doing what I'm trying to get at is um, you are reinvesting like it were it, it's basically your money, right? So, um, you know, maybe it's tied in with some VC money, exactly. but yeah, it's the same deal. Cause what my, my philosophy is, is, you know, it, it's probably better to bet on yourself than it is to, you know, put your money into somewhere else where you might be getting a lower return, right? You have more control. So, you know, that, that, that was what I was kind of getting at there.
0: Certainly. Yeah. And I, I and I think um, just in terms of my personality, a lot of it does have to do with. That control factor and wa- wanting to know exactly what's happening, um, and having that transparency and that ability to take action in a way that I see fit, and so we've had um, a number of acquisition offers that were that included stock options in non-public companies, and one of my hesitations about that has always been, well, I know exactly what's happening in my company. And there's no amount of financial information or conversations that you can have during an acquisition that would kind of give you that same clear understanding of somebody else's company. So to me, that just seems like a riskier bet than investing in yourself and your team and your company.
1: Yep. And the other thing too, I would add to that is, um, you know, if you're reinvesting in the company, well, guess what? You're not going to get taxed on that. So, mm-hmm. you know, you grow faster in the long term if you're not getting taxed. It's not slowing down your growth, right? And to your point, you have control over it because, well, you, the best investment is a in yourself. You're making yourself better, and you have the control over it. So I love that. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so um, I, I do want to touch upon one more thing. So working, and I'm sure you've, you've been asked this question quite a bit. I, I did look at a couple of interviews that you've done. Um, so <laughs> co-founder as a husband, how does that work? Or husband as a co-founder?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it either works or it doesn't. I don't think that there's kind of that gray in between area. It was a lot more challenging during the first, I'd say six months to a year where you're starting a company. I think it's a lot more stressful, or at least for us, it was a lot more stressful because we were bootstrapping it. And I think that when you're first launching a company, there's a lot more crossover of responsibilities. What has worked really well for us is to have that separation of, hey, you're responsible for XYZ and I'm responsible for XYZ. And I think that, but I, honestly, I think that that would apply in any kind of business relationship that you would have, whether it's with your husband or with a with a friend co founder or somebody else, is I think it's important to have that separation and a clear understanding of who is ultimately responsible for what and who is the person who has the final veto power power. Luckily in my case, that was me. But the other thing is, you know, I remember when we were fundraising and We met with a few investors that, that were like, well, our policy is not to invest in husband, wife teams. And to me, that never made sense because if you look at statistics, so many co-founders have fallouts. I mean, you're going through a very challenging, stressful situation. You have different opinions. You, you know, a lot of times people just go their separate ways. I think when you're a married team, that's one more kind of hurdle that you would have to jump over in order to split that partnership like we're we're in this together because whether or not we want to work together we're married you know so there's that extra bond that that keeps you together and so to me it never made sense why having that extra that extra Uh, tie between the two co-founders was a problem like to me i see it as more of a benefit of hey they have even more incentive to work harder together because now that business the entire family is relying on so they really need it to succeed and that's kind of that extra you know that could be that extra incentive plus they have to stick it out together because they're also married
1: right and the other thing too, is a lot of the marriages that I've seen be really successful, they almost manage their their marriage like a business, right? So I, I think the things that you learn from business, maybe you carry over into um, your marriage and vice versa, right? So like, you know, how do you run like a really good meeting and how do you, how do you give feedback <laughs> to each other? Like, th- does that ring true for you?
0: It does in a way. I think the challenge of being a married co-founder is when do you stop? work conversations and kind of go into your personal life. I think it's more important at the beginning to have those ongoing conversations, but at some point it's not sustainable. At some point, I do think that it's important to have that time out to kind of clear your head and to focus on other things.
1: Right, hundred percent. Well, I think that could be a completely different podcast. Um, we have to wrap. <laughs> we have to work towards wrapping up now. So, what is one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value? So it could be like a Peloton bike, or it could be like I don't know, like a, an app.
0: Unfortunately, it has not been a Peloton bike because I don't have much time for working out, which is a, an issue in itself. But Something that is such a silly tool and probably should not cost as much as it does, but it is such a lifesaver for me is, is called a boomerang app that you um, integrate with your Gmail account. So I'm a, I'm an inbox zero or an inbox above the fold type of person. Um, I think that's important for me to just have that sanity of. These are the things that are important and everything else I will respond to on my own time. Um, and so what Boomerang does is you can, you can send away emails and tell the app when to bring it back. So, for example, if I receive a proposal that needs to be reviewed by Friday, but right now I really need to be head down on another project, I can just set that to disappear from my inbox and come back at 9 a.m. on Friday. The other way that I use it is if I send out an email and I know that I need to follow up if I don't hear back from that person, uh, it has the the option to select to bring back that email if you don't hear from them uh, in like two days, three days, whatever. So that's, it's just a, improved my efficiency.
1: Great. Yeah. Boomerang is an awesome app. We'll drop that in the show notes. And what is one must read book you recommend to everyone?
0: Honestly, I don't have must-read books. I like to consume things in kind of smaller quantities when I have time. A blog that I really enjoy is uh, Signal versus Noise. So Jason Freed, who started Basecamp, is somebody that I respect tremendously and agree with probably 99% of the things that he talks about. Uh, which is very rare for me, but that's something that uh, that I try to follow and and read up on.
1: Great, love Jason Fried, uh, love all these books too. Uh, so check those out too. We'll, we'll we'll drop a couple of those books in the show notes as well. Well, uh, Sophia, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online?
0: At nonproject.com.
1: Great, and lingoapp.com. Yes,
0: and and lingoapp.com as well.
1: All right, cool, Sophia. Thanks again.
0: Thank you so much, Eric. Appreciate it.